Well, happy Mother's Day. I want to ex- extend a warm Mother's Day greeting. Uh, and we're so happy uh, that uh, we can be together here in worship at Windsor Road. Um, uh, this morning I want to talk about beauty. I want to talk about the, the beauty of fierceness. Her name was Elsie Skeel. Ever heard of her? The New York Times called her the most nearly perfect specimen of womanhood. Elsie Skeel. The fresh air of product, the fresh air product of modern civilization, the peer of, if not superior, to Venus de Milo, Elsie Skeel. Elsie Skeel was a 24-year-old student at Cornell University, and she was chosen from a pool of 400 students there at Cornell by a Dr. Esther Parker. Dr. Parker said that Elsie's very presence bespeaks perfect health. The article from which I'm drawing these words come from an article in 1912 tells about Elsie's love for beefsteaks and automobiles and horticulture. Elsie abstained from coffee, tea, and breakfast. And she was very passionate about women's suffrage. And according to the article, Elsie feels that the average girl does too much of the wrong sort of thing. She says, I quote, too many dances and not enough good bracing tramps. I quote, I just got back from a 25-mile tramp to Enfield Falls. Oh. (laughs) Elsie stood at 5 feet 7 inches tall. She weighed 171 pounds. She was pear-shaped. Her body mass index was estimated at almost 28. She married an architect. He lived until 1968. After he died, she moved to Florida, and she lived to be 91, Elsie Skeel, the most nearly perfect specimen of womanhood in 1912. I submit this article to you as People's Exhibit A of how subjective and outwardly focused Americans are about female beauty, (laughs) In her book, True Beauty, author Carolyn Mahaney wrote these words. She wrote, every day we are bombarded with images of beauty on television, movies, billboards, storefronts, magazine ads, on our phones, tablets, computer screens. These images tell us what we are supposed to look like, and they present a standard of beauty so narrow in its range that most of us feel unattractive by comparison. Mahaney goes on to tell of uh, celebrities, one of whom spends three hours every day in a regimen of yoga, spinning, weight training, hiking, swimming, and Pilates, and still another who spends a reported $20,000 per month on beauty treatments. And then Carolyn Mahaney said this, not only do most of us lack the means to maintain our culture's ideal of beauty, in many cases the standard against which we are measuring ourselves is not even real. 
For many of those images we see online or in glossy magazines, they're photoshopped, retouched, smoothed over, stretched, manipulated into a shape and appearance that is artificial and misleading. Isn't that the truth? Hmm. So this morning for Mother's Day, I want us to talk about a deeper kind of beauty. I want us to consider someone in the Bible who challenges our culturally thin idea of what beauty is. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 4 and 5. Judges, chapter 4 and 5. You'll find that on page 203 of your church Bibles. And in these two chapters... I want us to consider this morning the beauty of fierceness. The beauty of fierceness. These chapters tell us of a woman in the Bible known as the mother of Israel. She was a national leader who encouraged others with her own steely faith in the strength of God. Her name was Deborah. Deborah. And Deborah was the godliest and most stable of all Israel's leaders in that very unstable period of time known as the judges. And her life exemplifies the beauty of fierceness. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Judges chapter 4, verses 4 through 16, and then we're going to jump to Judges chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Judges 4 and 5 cover the same event in history. Judges 4 is written from the style of a historian, a storyteller. Judges 5 is written from the style of a songwriter or poet. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali, And the people of Zebulun, those were two of Israel's tribes. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. 
And all the men who were with him from uh, Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. And now chapter 5. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. This is God's word. So Deborah lived in the unstable days of the judges. The judges, that was that period of time uh, that took place after Israel entered the land of promise, but before the period of the kings. And if you were to go to Judges chapter 2, you would find a very simple summary of the entire book. Just go to Judges chapter 2 and you can see a simple summary. In fact, here's the summary uh, by means of this chart. It comes in terms of cycles. The whole book of Judges is about cycles. A season of faithfulness, followed by a season of lost focus, followed by unfaithfulness, followed by repentance, and then deliverance. And this happened over and over and over and over again. And in this cycle, Deborah abruptly appears in verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 4, gives us three facts about this woman of God. First of all, she's a prophetess. You see that? That means God's word is alive in her, and she speaks for him. Secondly, she's married, stressing the stability and reliability of her life. And then thirdly, verse 4 says she was judging Israel at the time. Do you see that phrase, to sit under the palm of Deborah? What does that mean? That meant that she ministered, she led out in open court. God's people came to her to have their disputes settled, whether they were social or civic disputes. And she's different from the other judges who came before or after her. Whereas other judges, say like Shamgar or Gideon or Samson, whereas they led in battle, Deborah led by means of wisdom. For instance, in chapter 3, Othniel would go to war. Uh, and Ehud, another judge, would assassinate Eglon. But Deborah counseled and guided the nation. She does not take up the sword herself. Rather, she summons the one God has called to do the work she knows he wants done. And in Judges chapter 4, once again, the people of God have done evil in the sight. The cycle is continuing, and the, and the Lord has handed God's people over into the, to the hands and reign and cruelty of a Canaanite king, a guy by the name of Jabin. Jabin had a commanding general by the name of Sisera. And several times, we read this in the text, uh, Sisera had at his disposal uh, an arsenal of 900 iron 
chariots, 900 iron chariots is said over and over again, which put him at a technological and tactical advantage over God's people. Can you imagine being an infantry soldier and having a wall of steel coming at you? My goodness. Deborah summons an Israelite named Barak, and she tells Barak that God has called him to lead 10,000 against Sisera near the Kishon River. And and in verse 8, did you catch Barak's hesitation? Well, I'll go, but only if you go with me. Deborah says, all right, that's fine. But understand that the glory for being victorious, and you will be victorious, The glory for being victorious, for defeating Sisera, will go to another. The glory will go to a female. Verse 9. I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. So in verse 10, Barak goes. He takes 10,000 up to the top of Mount Tabor. And then in verse 11, there's sort of this interruption. Do you get that? Here we were reading along, and all of a sudden, verse 11 pops out, this point of information. Who's Heber the Kenite, and what's that about, and why is that there? Just wait. Just wait. So Sisera finds out, back to the ranch, Sisera finds out that Barak and his troops have massed, and so he stations his 900 killing machines at the bottom of Mount Tabor on flat land, chariots on flat land. He's got the tactical advantage, and Barak is there at the top of the hill looking down at the bottom of the hill at 900 gleaming iron chariots, and his eyes widen, and he's got to say to himself, what on earth have I gotten myself into? Oh, my goodness. And just then he hears a voice. Well, let's get going. It's Deborah. She summons Barak to take the field. She reminds Barak that the strength of Israel is not some soft, wimpy, graven image. Rather, God is a warrior. God goes before his people. God fights on behalf of his people. Barak, God has already taken to the field of battle. He's already down at the bottom of the hill. He's waiting for you. Verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Now, now can you see why, church, this is the beauty of fierceness? Deborah's beauty beams as she encourages and calls Barak to fulfill the destiny that God has for him, that is the beauty of fierceness. The beauty of fierceness is about encouraging others to carry out God's call. The beauty of fierceness is about urging others to trust the all-sufficient strength of God. The beauty of fierceness is the firm assurance that if Barak would but go down that hill into the teeth of 900 chariots, there, between himself and Sisera, would be God. He would see God. And Deborah's beauty was in her joyful willingness to join Barak in urging him to press on in spite of his obstacles and in spite of his fears and in spite of these overwhelming odds. The beauty of fierceness is encouraging others to fulfill their God-given 
destiny. And, and note that her encouragement was not this. She didn't say, come on, you can do it, you can do it, I believe in you. That's not what she said. She said, God can do this. God will do it. God is before you. We can trust him. He has never failed us. Now go. That is encouragement. Larry Crabb and Dan Allender have written an excellent book I'd recommend called Encouragement, The Unexpected Power of Building Others Up. Listen to what they say. If our words of encouragement are to have substantial impact, if our efforts to strengthen each other in the Christian walk are to be more than a pep talk, then we must become men and women who not only know about God, but actually know God. See, Deborah's beauty beams from knowing God, from her deep walk with God. And this is the challenge. Here it is, right here. Don't miss this. Look up here. This is the challenge of ministry. This is the challenge of uh, anyone who is in a caring vocation. Um, It's this challenge right here. The more determined I am to minister, the more painfully aware I become of my desire to have someone look after me. I'll say that again. The more determined I am to minister, the more determined I am to want to care for others, the more painfully aware I become of my desire to have someone look after me. So you see, it would have been very easy for someone like Deborah to have said, Barak, why do I always have to go up with you? Why don't you go up that hill yourself? Would you man up? Come on. It would have been very easy for, you know, she didn't go there. She didn't do that. She did not put on Barak what he couldn't possibly fulfill. And she didn't expect from Barak what only God could give. You see that? So see, her character to encourage the way she encouraged was forged in the fires of loneliness where there was no one else to depend on but God. See? She goes up that hill because she's so filled with God, she wants Barak to experience the fullness and power of God in the way she has experienced the fullness and power of God in her life. Crabbe and Allender continue, we must turn in desperate dependency to God. We must entrust ourselves so completely to him that our psychological doom is assured if he fails to respond. Then we will come to know more of him. Then godly character will grow. His glory bursts through most brightly when night is at its darkest. His strength is proven best when we are at our weakest. And that's what we see. So Barak goes down. And look at verse 14. Verse 14 tells us he went down Mount Tabor first in line with 10,000 following him. Now's the moment of truth. He's first to face the chariots. If Deborah's wrong, he's dead. But she wasn't. And in verse 15, the entire battle is described in one succinct sentence. 
the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army. That's it. Victory done. God wins. How did that happen? Well, you have to turn to Judges chapter 5, where we learn that a flash flood overwhelmed Sisera and his chariots there in the river. Torrential rain and a swollen river neutralized the tactical advantage of those chariots, and Sisera's troops were stuck in the mud, and it was just like shooting fish in a barrel. Judges chapter 5, verse 4, the clouds dropped water. Judges 5, 20 and 21, from heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon, march on my soul with might. They could because God had gone ahead of them and had annihilated Sisera's army. Verse 16, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harosheth. Hagoyim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Oh, but the story's not over. It continues uh, in a rather grisly way. Sisera, this mighty commander and general of these 900 chariots, he cowardly runs, he flees. He comes to the tent of this woman named Jael. Who is she? She was the wife of Heber the Kenite, who was an ally of one of Sisera's bosses. Oh, that explains verse 11. I see. So verse 11 is kind of giving us a heads up. Something's coming here. All right. So Sisera is now on the run. He's a fugitive. He needs to hide. He's exhausted. He's thirsty. He's wet. He's cold. And so Jael invites him into her home, the tent. He asks for water. She says, oh, honey, you need more than that. Let me get you some milk. Let me, in fact, cover up. You're wet. You're cold. You're tired. You're going to be fine. She serves him a milk product. In, in, in chapter 5, verse 25 says, she serves him up in a noble's bowl. So she, she serves him this, this cheese, yogurt, milk product concoction in, in, in this fine china. And he says, well, you know, if any, if any man comes to the tent and says, anyone here, say no one. That's fine, honey, you bet. Come on in. And relax, make yourself at home. So he gobbles up the meal. He covers up. He warms up, dries up. The adrenaline crashes, and he is out like a light. And the Bible says that Jael takes a tent peg and a hammer, tools that she used every day when they would set up and tear down the tents. And she gave him a headache he would never forget. (laughs) Verse 21, she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> And then it almost really turns comic, as if it's not already. Barak finally catches up. 
Jael goes outside the tent and says, Quick, sir, the man you're looking for is in my tent. And Bear goes, Stand back, ma'am, I've got it covered. I'll take it from here. Races in, verse 22. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Wanted to make sure we didn't forget about that tent peg there. You know, he goes in and, oh, 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 who, 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 you, (laughs) happy Mother's Day. Think about it here for just a minute. Think about the scene. Here you've got these two great military generals and this humble woman that, you know, she kind of comes and goes in the pages of Scripture right there. And, and, and this humble woman who takes the glory from two military commanders. She, from Sisera, she took the glory of his life. And from Barak, she took the glory of battle. And at that point, right then and there, Barak remembered Deborah's prophecy about the glory going to a female. The sign of God's presence, the sign of God going ahead on behalf of his people, fighting for his people, was not merely the blinding rain of a flooded river. Rather, the sign of God's presence was seen in how he overpowered the strong by means of the weak. Isn't that like our God? And these verses here point to a day when God would just do this again on a greater and grander scale. When God himself would defeat the power of evil by the weakness of the cross. That that God in Christ would be our ruler and redeemer. You see, in these verses, Deborah is the ruler and Barak is the redeemer and But here there will come a day when God in Christ, Jesus, Jesus will do both. As a crown of thorns will pierce his temple and spikes will penetrate his hands and feet, Jesus himself will sink and fall and lay still. But not for long. For on that resurrection day, the earth trembled. Awake, awake, break out in song. The righteous one triumphs. Chapter 5, verse 31. May all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. That's why Judges makes it absolutely clear that God is the one who subdues the enemy. That the hero of the story is really not even Deborah or Barak or Jael. The hero of the story is God, and that's the beauty of fierceness. Deborah's beauty shines brightest when it shines on the glory and strength and splendor of God. Her core, her core beauty was not in her height or weight or figure, but in her walk with God. And please hear me, Windsor Road women. Please hear me, sisters in Christ. Your beauty is never more apparent when your beauty beams the strength and power and glory of God. You are never more beautiful than when you walk with God. Because when God is at the center of your life, like the sun satisfying all of our longings for beauty and greatness and truth and love, 
when God is at the center, then and only then will the planets of food and dress and family and work and exercise and academics and cosmetics and posture, only then will those planets stay in their proper orbit. Deborah knew that. She knew her God. And as a result, she knew herself. She knew, she knew her role too, you see. I see that in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 and 8, where it says, in the days of Shamgar, remember that was a former judge, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, the travelers kept to the byways, the villagers ceased in Israel. Why? Why, why would the highways be abandoned? Why would the villages uh, cease to be? Why? Well, because there's so much evil and corruption, you're afraid to go outside. Verse 7 says, they ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. She responded to God's call in her life to lead and lead well because she knew her God. And because she knew her God, she knew herself. And because she knew herself, she could encourage others. Which is why chapter 5, verse 9 says, My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And so to echo Deborah, this great woman of God, may I say, church family, that our hearts go out to you who offer yourselves so willingly. To those of you who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who tirelessly parent alone due to death or divorce, we marvel at God's strength in and through you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, we, we walk with you. Please forgive us when we say foolish things. We do not mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment and heartache and distance from your children, we sit with you. To those who have lost your mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who've experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your pain. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you have longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths, to those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. And to those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. (laughs) And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. We're all here. And this Mother's Day, our heart goes out to you. We have fierce warriors in our midst. And we remember you who so willingly 
offer yourselves to the Lord among the people. Bless the Lord.